Welcome to the 27th episode of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mark DeLuke. I'm the co-site expert over at AroundTheFoghorn.com, Fansided's official San Francisco Giants site. And of course, this is Fansided's official San Francisco Giants podcast. I'm talking to you today on the Giants' first off day in some time, and I believe they're not going to have an off day um, for some time from now as well. They just took, uh, really had a great, stretch they took two games from the texas rangers they swept them in in a short little two-game series to start the week after taking a two out of three from the san diego padres obviously a team that was supposed to be a major you know division foe now you know you can go back a bit further than that they dropped two out of three in colorado and it's coors the series before that and we've talked about that um, before on the podcast, I talked to um, Javier Reyes over from the Lockdown Padres podcast on Sunday. If you want to check that out, we dived more directly into how the Giants stack up against the Padres, where the Padres are at to start the season. The Giants, you know, strong success uh, against San Diego to start the season. But I'm going to take sort of, you know, it's middle of the week. You know, we're going to do another little quick half hour episode here. And I just want to, you know, Take inventory on this Giants team. Like, take a minute. I think, I've, you know, we've been so caught up in what well, it's been the start of my league season. I'm writing about the prospects. And again, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Mad Deluki. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. You can also follow Around the Foghorn at Round the Foghorn. Just drop the A from our URL and you can follow us. Um, there you can also uh, follow around the Foghorns page on Facebook. Um, both of those places, you'll you'll see a lot of my prospect contact. I'm doing daily rundowns on the site, so every day uh, in the morning, you should be able to log on to AroundTheFoghorn.com, and you should have an article, a little quick slideshow with a rundown of the games for every uh, Giants minor league affiliate. Um, there there may be some days, you know, if there's only a game or two, I might not do a whole post. I might just do a little quick social media thing, and that'll be up on Twitter and Facebook. But again, that's why you follow if you can follow those outlets then then you'll be able to stay up to date but you know there's been that on the minor league side we've been focused on some of the individual players performances Buster Posey's been amazing but you know I think in some ways I've gotten away from talking about the most impressive part of it the Giants have the best record in major league baseball more than a month into the year the Giants are 22 and 14 that's a 6-11 winning percentage I believe the Cardinals played today and won which brought them to 22 and 14 as well, which tied them with the, which ties them with the Giants um, for the best record in Major League, not just the National League, but Major League Baseball. I mean, that they're on pace to win 99 games this season, and I don't think anyone in their right mind expected the Giants um, to be, you know, looking like a 100-win team at any point in the season. Obviously, there's still over 125 so or so games to go here, so it, it's by no means, you know, something that fans should expect. But you know. This Giants team, and I was discussing it actually uh, last night with my father, who's a, a lifelong Giants fan, grew up in the Bay Area, and you know he, he follows the team not as closely as I do per se, but you know watches a lot of the games, stays engaged, and the the peculiar thing with the Giants this year is that it hasn't, you know, we talk about fluky teams to start the season and every year there's a team that gets out to a strong start gets out to first place who we don't expect sometimes that team lasts and ends up winning the division but most of the time that team fades right most of the team time that team disappears and maybe is even out of the playoff picture by august or september you know a collapse in june july and we'll see again those things could be happening to the giants but one thing i'm 
you know, comfortable saying is that the way the Giants have gotten here to this place is one that makes me fairly confident that they're going to be a competent team, that they're going to be competitive. And I say that because, you know, what do we do when we think about fluky baseball wins, right? It's when you win, you know, it's you're losing by two runs heading into the ninth inning and, you know, the, the, the closer just loses control and hits the first guy he faces. Maybe a bloop single falls in, then there's a big two-base error and one single and, you you know, you, you come back to win a game that you, you feel like you should, right? There's, the way I look at it, it, it is fairly straightforward. You have... You know, three compo- uh, three components of every team, right? You have the position players, you have the starting pitchers, you have the relief pitchers. And when I look back on any team's performance, if two of those things were very good, you expect to win that game. If you hit really well and you got good starting pitching, even if the bullpen wasn't great, you expect to win. If your bullpen was dominant and your starting pitching was great, you expect to win that game. If your bullpen was dominant and your hitting was great, you expect to win that game, even if you don't have you know your starters doing their best work. Like two, if, if you perform well in two of those three facets, you should win. Um, and granted, I, you know, I, I guess I'm omitting defense a bit. I mean, I'm sort of incorporating that when I'm talking about hitting. I'm talking about the position players, right? Are the position players um, making positive contributions defensively and and especially at the plate? And you know, I, I say you know there are fluky wins where maybe your starting pitcher gets cuffed and has to get pulled after four innings. Your bullpen isn't particularly good either, but you just hit. Like crazy, right? You you put up 15 runs and it doesn't matter that you give up 12. You know, there can be a game where where, where you know you're, you're hitting isn't that great. You get one or two runs, but your starting pitcher's dominant, throws a complete game shutout. It doesn't matter that your bullpen doesn't have to do anything. You know, you, or you know, even we saw some games last year from the Giants, right? Where you know a starting pitcher you know gives up three ish runs early, gets pulled in the fourth because of a really high pitch count. But bullpen's dominant. The offense scratches across, you know, three runs, and they go to extras and win, you know, in, in the tenth or eleventh. Like, I mean, they. Those are the kinds of wins that I call fluky, right? When it's very clear there is one particular performance, one particular facet of the game, that took up a disproportionate amount of responsibility for the win. And thus far this season, now the Giants' offense has been hit and miss. It hasn't been as strong as again. I, I think. I would have expected, especially if I'd known what their record would be. But, you know, for, for the most part, the Giants are winning in all those three phases, all the, the three parts of the roster. You know, I mean, we can talk about the bullpen, and the bullpen has undeniably struggled. Um, you know, but don't forget, early in the season, Jake McGee, dominant in the ninth inning. Open and shut dominant. His recent struggles, we can talk about. We can talk about if Gabe Kapler needs to consider a similar usage pattern for McGee that the Giants used with Tony Watson last season. I think there's there's a, there's perhaps a case for that. But there is no denying for the first half, two-thirds of the games we've seen played thus far this season, Jake McGee was dominant, arguably the most effective relief pitcher in all of baseball before things have kind of unraveled recently. Tyler Rogers has been dominant the whole way. His ERA is still either one or sub one. Let me pull it up right here just to be clear. Yeah, 0.87 ERA in 20 and two-thirds innings pitch. She's been dominant. I mean, we can talk about Matt Whistler's struggles, you know, 6.75 ERA. We can talk about Jose Alvarez's inconsistently, 4.35 ERA, a bunch of walks. 
But we can't ignore that Caleb Berger hasn't given up a run in 13 appearances. You know, we, we can't talk about, you know, the, the struggles that Camilo Doval has had without also talking about when he first came up in the dominant outings he gave the Giants. You know, Zach Littell, six appearances since getting called up, zero earned runs allowed. I mean, the bullpen has by no means been its strength of this roster. It has not been as consistent as you would like to see. But there is no, I do not think it'd be fair to say and look at this bullpen and say the Giants are consistently getting poor performances from their bullpen. And if you look at the advanced metrics, by the way, bears that out. Fielding independent pitching is a stat that uses strikeouts, walks, and home runs to try to estimate how effective a pitcher is you know, performed like maybe were they lucky? Were they unlucky? It's trying to take into account, you know, as we, you know, you, the Bobbip magic, right? Batting average on balls in play. For the most part, it is very hard if you're allowing balls in play to not give up a bunch of hits. And so FIP tries to adjust for that. I'm going to read you the FIPs for Jake McGee, for Tyler Rogers, for Matt Whistler, for Jose Alvarez, and for Caleb Berger. Uh, so, you know, the five Giants relievers who have appeared in more than 10 games, those, those are the only five. They're the only five relievers who've appeared in double-digit innings, and here are their fielding independent pitching. So this is an estimate for what this metric believes their ERA should be. McGee, 3.6. Tyler Rogers, 3.63. Matt Whistler, 3.70. Jose Alvarez, 3.58. Caleb Berger, 3.30. None of those are exceptional, right? You know, you want to see those in the twos, you know, an elite pitcher in the ones. I mean, or a super elite pitcher in the ones. But you want to see those in the twos, the, the low parts of the threes. But nothing's above 3.7. Nothing's in the fours. Nothing's in the fives. Even even Matt Whistler, right? Someone who, again, I, I who's given up a lot of big-time hits. So, you know, what that says to me is that the Giants actually have a bullpen that's filled of solid options, just no one that's elite. And, and obviously, you know, I can talk about the averages all I want, but in a one-run game in the ninth inning, Gabe Kapler can't put the averages on the field. He has to pick one pitcher in that situation. And that's where the Giants, I think, are going to have trouble unless Camilo Doval or a prospect emerges in a way we haven't expected. You know, maybe a Zach Littell or Dominique Leon, who we can talk about at AAA, you know, Maybe they turn into that guy. Maybe uh, Farhan Zaidi makes a trade at the deadline. I think that's becoming more and more likely as we look down the line as something the Giants should target this uh, as the trade deadline approaches. But I, I don't think there is a difference between not having someone you trust to guarantee you a win with a one or two run lead in the ninth inning and not having a reliever you should be able to trust You know, throughout the game. They have five guys in, in McGee, Rogers, Whistler, Alvarez, and Berger, who to varying degrees have strong track, solid track records, and with what they've shown this season, they've shown enough to believe that they can be competent and they can be effective. Now, Alvarez is the one I'm most concerned about because of those inflated walks. He has the nine walks in 10 and a third innings. But I, I do you know, try to keep into account, remember those first three walks came in his first appearance of the year where he entered in the 10th inning with the runner on second base, and he clearly didn't have command that first outing, you know, obviously, you know, six walks in 10 and third innings isn't great, but um, he's had a history of relatively good control and command. So, you know, for now, I'm cautiously optimistic that that can recover. But anyway, you know, again, I've talked about the starting pitching a bunch and the elite performance they've gotten, you know, from people like Kevin Gaussman and Di Sclafani and Alex Wood, you know, Logan Webb comes out 
against the Rangers, strikes out 10 batters. You know, and, and this is the thing I've said about Webb for a long time. I remember the first time, it was either, I believe it was the summer of 2019. It may have honestly been 2018, guys. I've been writing about the Giants for longer. It seems like yesterday I, I first started uh, contributing to Around the Foghorn. But anyway, and the first thing I wrote, I remember in my first scouting report about Webb, what I wrote sort of for the comp, what I kind of thought was a big league player he reminded me of, it was Jeff Samarja. And I realize Giants fans may have a distorted perception because obviously Samarja pitched for them for a number of years until last season, obviously. But Samarja was, if people don't remember, signed, um, given above sought signed bonus because he was a top football prospect, a wide receiver at Notre Dame, was probably a late first or early second round NFL draft prospect. So the Chicago Cubs draft signed him to this overslot bonus. He has this big arm, but doesn't have a lot of experience. He's mostly been playing. He's prioritized football, so you know it takes some time in the minor leagues. But you know he has this in, in great stuff. He has some big velo for for back then, but a really good uh, splitter and, and some other pitches. And he gets up, and the command just isn't there. And the Cubs put him in the bullpen because he's just his his control is just too erratic to work deep into games. And you know when Samarja gets called up ten more than ten years ago at this point, I think you know it, it's an even more it's a league that's putting even more pressure right on starters to work six innings, seven innings, you know, and Samarja wasn't capable of doing that. And and part of what would happen is he'd be going great. He'd be getting strikeouts and then boom, he'd walk a guy or uh, a ground ball would get through the hole and they'd have a run on first and he would just lose his release point. He'd have a 25 pitch inning and it would all fall apart and he'd have to get pulled. So he moves to the bullpen and is very fairly effective for them in a high leverage role. I believe for a season or two, he gets moved back to the rotation. Still has the inconsistencies. I mean, even as best for the Giants, you know they, you know, Giants fans saw it up close in person. He'd get some strikeouts. He could avoid walks, but he'd still give up homers because he, while he was able to more consistently throw strikes at his best, he was never able to get the precise command to make sure he wasn't giving hitters too many pitches to hit. And so he'd give up some home runs with that. And that's what I thought with Webb, where you could see that, you know, he would he was just kind of a little bit off with his controller command. And it would just be things would kind of build and build and build to a place where he wasn't able to, you know, push through difficult outings. Like once something went wrong, it would snowball in his outings. And it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't getting guys to swing and miss. It wasn't necessarily even that his stuff was that was below average or bad. It was just that, again, it was he would miss a little bit, and then he would get too focused on – he'd get ahead 0-2 in a count, but he'd get too focused on not missing in the middle of the zone and throw three pitches of, that are easy takes, and now it's a full count. I, I think it's been fairly – I think that's been most impressive to me. I realize he has a 4-7 ERA, but his FIP is 3.71. He struck out 43 batters in 38 innings, and he he is not someone who previously in the major leagues has has shown um, the ability to to strike out a batter per inning without um, you know that coming in outings where he's allowing more base runners, allowing more runs, and he's getting players to swing and miss. But most importantly, and and, and most positively, I think for fans, what we saw in this last outing. He gets in trouble in the first inning, gives up a run, but he works out of it, still manages to go six inning, manages a career high, 10 strikeouts. That's obviously a fantastic sign. But, you know, again, that's the thing is this pitching staff, you know, the starting pitching is carrying the load. 
the the bullpen some pitchers have had their moments some have had their anti moments if you will but it 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 has a level of depth that I don't think I gave it credit for to start the season. I mean, you know, Aaron Sanchez is on the IL and Wood and Webb has stepped in um, after stepping in for Johnny Cueto and looks like an effective option, right? Um, we have Tyler Beattie working back from Tommy John surgery. He made his second rehab appearance uh, either this yeah this week or this weekend over at Sacramento. Went two innings, first inning a little erratic, but his second inning he was locked down. Three strikeouts in the last four batters. Looked really good. He's already hitting 96, 97 miles per hour with his fastball, showing really good fade on a changeup he'd been working on that I thought was ready to take a step forward in 2020 before he obviously underwent UCL surgery. But, you know, Beatty's someone who I'm not saying he's going to break the rotation, but he gives them another insurance option, you know, to potentially, you know, if Wood does have to miss some time, if DeSclafani or even Gaussman or Cueto, you know, end up on the IL, that's another option. That, that they have in the starting rotation. Um, in the bullpen, John Brebbia, someone who most Giants fans probably aren't that familiar with, it was a minor move. The Giants signed him for, I think, one year, $850,000. Uh, he went, underwent, I'm not sure, I don't think it actually was arm surgery, but it was a, you know, he went through a major operation in 2020, missed the season. But he was someone who was a really good high leverage arm for the St. Louis Cardinals from 2017 to 2019. He averaged over the over the three year period. Let me pull up um, the exact average. I want to get this right. He averaged 58 innings, 66 strikeouts, only 18 walks, and a 3.14 ERA for three seasons. Uh, he never was a, a closer in St. Louis, but was by the end, uh, sort of by by the end of his t- what would be his tenure in St. Louis, was one of the primary setup options they had. Um, you know, I think his last year yeah, in 2019, he appeared in 66 games, 72 innings, struck out 87. Um, another one of these right-handers who's been effective isn't, you know, sort of what we deem the traditional major league reliever at this point. He's, you know, he's another guy who's not throwing 99, 100 miles per hour. He's not throwing a 93 mile per hour slider, but has a strong history of being effective out of the bullpen in some high leverage situations. And it's not like advanced metrics, you know, haven't been high on him either. He's someone whose fastball has sit in the mid nineties and averaged about 93, 94 paired it with a slider. That's been effective. And it's just been those two pitches that he's, you know, primary sort of split evenly and done well. So, you know, that's another arm in the bullpen. Dominic Leone. I haven't talked to him on the podcast. I wrote when the Giants signed him though, because he was a minor league free agent that the Giants signed this offseason. And the name should f- sound familiar to, to you know baseball fans. Leon's been around for some time. He's 29 years old. The Mariners um, drafted him way back. He made the big leagues with the Mariners as a reliever. Um, as a rookie, he was quite effective, actually, in Seattle. Ends up with the Diamondbacks is, you know, in the bullpen, then ends up in Toronto for a year, and then in St. Louis in 2018. And 2019, he, he's... As a career 4.09 ERA over seven seasons in 240 games. And this is a guy who has a huge big league sample. Again, 240 innings, you know, 250 innings for a reliever. That's four or five full seasons. He's appeared in parts of, of uh, the last seven, actually appearing in 12 games for Cleveland last year. 
But, you know, he was someone who showed really, it, it was really interesting to me because he had an 8-3-8 ERA in 12 games last year for Cleveland. Nine and two-thirds innings, nine runs, three homers, but he struck out 16. And when I dove into the, the type of pitches he was throwing, I was seeing things that, that made me believe that Leon might have been one of the unluckiest pitchers in baseball last season and someone who I thought was due for a bounce-back season. I mean, I, I frankly wrote about, you know, Matt Whistler was someone who last season looked lucky. I think his ERA was below one. You know, he was good. You know, expected metrics still expected his ERA to be two or three. It wasn't a case of him, you know, being a uh, terrible performer who got lucky. He was an effective pitcher, but probably not to the caliber uh, um, that his final stat line showed. And I looked at Leon both last season and the season prior and saw a pitcher that was rife with opportunities to, you know, bounce back and, you know, take that step forward. And in spring training, I thought of the non-roster invitees that he was the most impressive one. You know, over, um, let me pull up his spring training statistics if I have them on me. Yeah, across eight appearances, he allowed one run in seven and two-thirds innings with 13 strikeouts, just two walks. Thus far this season at the Sacramento River Cats bullpen, again, the Giants called up Zach Littell. Littell's another one with big league experience. He's been, as I mentioned, he hasn't given up a run for the Giants either. I, I think Littell could be an effective option. They signed Silvino Bracco. As, they signed a number of these players. Jay Jackson, another one um, who has not appeared at Sacramento, I believes uh, dealing with um, an injury, but you know, they have a number of these players who have big league experience in the bullpen who are at triple a. Um, and you know, again, giants fans aren't necessarily most happy or most excited about this name, but Trevor got, they still have him in the system at triple a. He's been, you know, relatively effective. Leon, by the way, uh, this season, he's only made two appearances at triple a. I feel like, he made a third yesterday. This might be not be updated. I wonder. Anyway, in two in, in two games, he's made thrown two point two innings, struck out three, walked none, allowed one hit, yet to allow a run. He's a guy, again, alongside Brebia, that I could very easily see joining the bullpen soon. And as I mentioned, the Giants' problem, you know, in that bullpen is the lack of an elite arm. I don't necessarily think Brebia and Leon are going to put them over the top. But if you are someone who says, I don't believe what you're telling me about these metrics. I don't believe Matt Whistler is going to be able to bounce back. I don't believe Jose Alvarez is going to find his commander. I believe, you know, Jake McGee's, you know, about to fall apart. If you believe those things, again, I disagree with you on that. But if you believe those things, I'm telling you that there are options in the minor league level that I have a fair amount of confidence in. And you should have reason to believe can join this bullpen and be effective, mid, you know, borderline middle relief, high leverage arms, which is what the Giants, again, I think that's where they have. I've said this time and time. I think I said it heading into the year. I thought McGee is a good high leverage arm. I think Rogers is a good high leverage arm. I think Whistler, Alvarez, Berger, Doval, um, Harleen Garcia, Reyes Maranta, all these guys are are really good middle relievers. You're in really good shape if they're your middle relievers. You know, if they're your setup options, you know, you maybe get you know, a bit nervous about, but you know, you, they're competent in that role. Now we'll have to start looking to the trade market, but we're just on May 12th here. Um, and you know, I ended up talking a lot more about the pitching staff than I necessarily plan to. I feel like I always get caught on 
the bullpen just because. I, but I do think the bullpen is something the Giants fans um, are spending a lot of time doing. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like this offense is one where, again, I talked about Buster Posey on last week's episode I did solo. I'm in the midweek. You can go back and listen to that. You know, still hitting 390 has a 1200 OPS or whatever it is. Brandon Belt, you know, he's not hitting for as high average as he did last season, but he's got eight home runs. He's slugging 500. Brandon Crawford's got seven home runs. Uh, Evan Longoria's slumped a bit. His triple slash is down quite a bit from where it was to start the year. Seems like he's getting a bit pull happy, but I think his OPS is still north of 800. Where the offense, you know, where the disappointment or underperformance has been, Alex Dickerson, who's on the injured list right now, right? I think he, you know, is you know, 213, 280 batting average and on base percentage. Austin Slater is not slugging 400. Mike Yastrzemski not matching what he's done in the past. Wilmer Flores off the bench. Mauricio Dubon, Dubon uh, you know, they aren't necessarily doing what, what they've done um, in the past. And so, again, I, I, but I don't feel like this offense is in a place where you know, I expect some of these players to rebound. Like, you know, I, I Dickerson got off to a terrible start last year. Brandon Belt got off to a terrible start last, last year. Like, we saw plenty of players. You know, there's going to be some players who regress. We've already seen it from Longoria. I guarantee you we're going to see some form of regression from Posey. Again, even if he keeps up this level of play, he's not going to slug 730 this season. He's not going to hit 385. Well, he, I'll say this. He's not going to slug 730. If there is any anyone in baseball, if there is any catcher who will ever hit 380 in a season, it would be Buster Posey. But you understand what I'm saying, you know. Y'all are smart fans. And, you know, this is a team that has had some excellent performances to start the year on offense, but also had some disappointing ones. And kind of, you know what, if you're a good team, that's kind of where you want to be. Because, again, we know... Baseball, the Major League Baseball season is one that comes in waves, right? There are waves of hot spells, waves of cold spells, and your goal as a team is to kind of balance those out, right? You want to extend those hot spells as hard as you can, want to limit the cold spells, but, you know, there's going to be variation in how guys, how, you know, players perform. And if you have players that are underperforming, you expect to get better, you hope they can counteract a bit as maybe the ones who are playing at a caliber they've never played at before, as they sort of maybe come down to earth. The starting pitching is where you get a bit nervous, right? Just because pretty much everyone has been doing incredibly well there. And you you know, you know maybe worry that's where the regression is going to hit. But again, I mentioned it at the top. The San Francisco Giants have the best record in baseball. They're in first place in the National League West. They're on pace to win 99 games over a 162-game season currently. They have some room to regress and still, you know, potentially win the division and definitely be in position for the postseason. So, you know, there's no reason to panic if they do go through a cold stretch. Now, with that in mind, next four days is going to be important. They're playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're traveling to the East Coast or, you know, you can talk to whoever you want to about it. Pennsylvania is considered the East Coast, but west of Philadelphia, you can, you'll have some Midwestern claims. Midwesterners stake their claim there. I went to college um, towards Eastern Ohio. I, I know that very well. They're, the next eight games are going to be in the Midwest. They're they're playing four games at Pittsburgh, four games at Cincinnati. The Pirates, one of the worst teams in baseball. It's not debatable. Um, you know they are fifteen and twenty one. 
They have the second or third worst record in the National League. They and have some former Giants, by the way, Tyler Anderson and Trevor Cahill in the starting rotation. Former Giants prospect Brian Reynolds um, as well in their lineup. I think I might be missing actually another player. So, you know, so some reunions, maybe some revenge games. But the, the Giants have to look at it. You have a day off. You're coming off this two-game sweep against the Rangers. You've won five Excuse me, you've won four of your last five. You have a day off, so you give your bullpen some extra rest. You're playing a bad team. You want to prove, you know, they've proven they can beat a really good team, right? Another good team in the Padres. But a good team does two things. It beats other good teams, and it makes sure to take advantage of opportunities it gets against bad teams. The advantage they have is the Pirates didn't have a day off. They lost 5-1 to one today, finishing up a series, a three-game series against the Reds. So their bullpen... Um, got pushed quite a ways, actually. They used six relievers today. Cahill went five and a third, so the Giants won't have to face against him, but they used six relievers. So, you know, if they're going to, if the Giants can force to get to that bullpen early in the first game of the series, there's either going to be some guys who have to get, get thrown on back-to-back days or, you know, might have to go to some options that aren't as desirable. The Reds, now that's an interesting series because even if they pull the three out of four or, you know, if you get a four-game series sweep, that's a that's that's huge on the road. That's difficult to do, no matter how bad or how good your opponent is. Winning four games in a row on the road is always a tall task. If they just win that Pittsburgh series, then they go to Cincinnati, and the Reds are by no means one of the best teams in the National League. But you know, they have a talented roster. I believe after their victory today, they're right at 517 and 17. The Giants will not have a day off. Um, between their time in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So they're going to have four straight games in Pittsburgh, uh, hop on over to Cincinnati, and four more games there. The bullpen is going to be tested, right? The starting pitchers, if there's one start where a guy gets tested, you know, if someone has to get pulled in the third or fourth inning, that could have some big-time consequences in terms of how much this bullpen is going to have to get used over this next stretch because not only do they have a four, four straight games against the Reds after having four straight games, against the Pirates, after their Red Series, they fly home, but the next day kick off their first game, their first series of the year against the Los Angeles Dodgers, the, who everyone said is the most talented team in baseball, is expected to have the best record in baseball, obviously their biggest rival. So you're going to have eight straight games against one that's a league average team, one against a bad team, before you play... Probably the biggest series of the year and almost definitely the biggest series between the Giants and Dodgers in some time. I mean, it has been years since both the Giants and Dodgers were near the top of the National League West standings and legitimate peers, at least in um, that conversation. And so, you know, these next eight games are big because if they can take six out of eight, right? Even if they lose two out of three of the Dodgers, they still are in prime position atop the NL West. Again, the Giants are in the position of being the underdog. When you're the underdog, even if you're ahead in the standings, the second you drop behind, it just feels like a lot of air and wind gets taken out of your sails. And again, maybe the Giants can bounce back. Resilient SF, that's been the hashtag this season. But you got four games against Pittsburgh Pirates, four games against the Cincinnati Reds. It's a fantastic opportunity to give yourself some wiggle room, some opportunities to maybe make some mistakes, some opportunities um, to, you know, to have things not go their way later in the season. So we'll be back on Sunday with another episode. I'll try to have a guest on uh, to, to talk about uh, what happens in the Pittsburgh series. We maybe even dabble a bit 
in the Giants minor league depth chart as, as we look ahead to not only what prospects could make a difference in the future Giants, any prospects who could help in 2021, and perhaps a new conversation we haven't really had to have before, what prospects could be very enticing and potentially on the move at the deadline if the Giants are looking to add another Peace. So thank you, as always, for joining us on this 27th episode of Sound the Foghorn, Fansided's official Giants podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mark DeLuke. You can follow me on social media over at Mad DeLuke. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H. I, and you can follow Around the Foghorn at Round the Foghorn. Make sure to check out all our work over at AroundTheFoghorn.com where you will have all the latest Giants news, rumors, updates, maybe even a little speculation or two. Until next time, as always, stay safe and have a wonderful week.